Welcome to This Week in Common Sense, starring Paul Jacob. My name is Timothy Verkalant, and I'm here to help Paul run through the big stories of the week. This is for the first week of 2022. Well, this is the first week of 2022. Correct, you are. It's not a ho-ho season, though. It's the seventh, and the big news of the week seem to be the commemorations on the left, Democrats in general, of the horrible insurrection on January 6, 2021. Was there a bigger story last week? Well, no, no. It is the big story of the week because the media wanted it to be the big story of the week. And of course, what we're going to see in coming weeks is the Democrats playing that up into somehow that equates with uh, a federal takeover of elections and doing things like uh, partisanizing the FEC to where people can be gone after and in partisan fashion for campaign finance violations. And uh, we're going to see all kinds of other really, well, here's a great example. Um, Remember months ago, I think it was kind of the end of the spring, that all of a sudden polls came out showing that voter ID, photo ID, basically, to be able to vote, uh, was off the charts. And of course, it already all had always been kind of panned as racists, you know, some trying to suppress the vote and so on. And uh, well, it turns out in the one poll I remember seeing, and there have been a zillion of them, and they're all in the same neighborhood. Uh, but it was 84% of people of color supported a photo ID requirement to vote. And it's, and, and so all of a sudden it kind of comes out that, oh, well, this thing that we've been saying was racist and terrible really is very popular. And most people recognize that makes sense. And- uh, Hold on a moment, sorry about that. Uh, you just heard my synthesizer playing because- Well, I didn't hear it actually. You didn't? I didn't, I saw the cat. I saw the cat go across it, but I did not hear the synthesizer. That was a rather unfortunate moment in a podcast. We're early in the podcast and already things are going wrong, like my cat. I'll blame the cat. Well, the bottom line is the For the People Act uh, and other derivations of that. They've taken the the John Lewis, you know, John Lewis passed away, what, last year, year before? Uh, and they've taken the John Lewis Act, and they're, now they're going to do a new John Lewis Act, except the new one's about six times the size of the old one. And so, uh, again, they're trying to push all these things. They want uh, to require all states to just automatically register everyone to vote. And then as part of that, they have a uh, provision that holds harmless any non-citizen who illegally registers to vote, because of course, in some cases, they're not doing it, someone's doing it for them, and holds harmless any government official who registers a non-citizen to vote. Now, that kind of suggests that they foresee non-citizens voting and being registered to vote at least. And of course, there have been numerous cases of non-citizens who got registered to vote either because they misunderstood or were tricked or were registered to vote by someone who thought they were doing them a favor, who then have been in all kinds of trouble and, and, and potentially can't become a citizen, which is what they're trying to do. And this is, this is the, the 
legislation that the media has largely just said is wonderful, is pro-voter, is pro-democracy, it's for the people. In fact, it's even called the For the People Act without ever really looking at what it does. Voter ID is what I was talking about before your cat, you know, walked across the synthesizer. Uh, and I wish I kind of slurred there. I, I'm, I'm drinking hot chocolate. So I, I promise you, I've, I haven't had too many. I may have had too many hot chocolates, but I'm, I'm sober. Anyway, their voter ID provision is to basically create national voter ID. So yippee, they, they solve the problem. Except their voter ID trumps all the other voter IDs. And the idea being that you have to show a voter a, a photo ID. Theirs works to where if you go and don't have a photo ID, you can then vote anyway. And it will count if you come show them some things other than of a photo ID. So their photo ID requirement has one little catch. You don't have to show a photo ID. And it preempts all the ones where you actually do. So, you know, if the it's, flip a coin. Does the, does the media know this and just think, hey, let's trick them. You know, we trick them all the time because they're too stupid and we're such nice people that we fool them in all the right ways. That's kind of how our media works now is they create the narrative. They tell the stories. They lie where they have to. They spin where they have to. They don't tell us what they don't think we ought to know. And all to help us because they love us so much. And here... Are they just pro-Democrat and so they're not going to tell the truth about this? Or do they, they're just lazy and they don't care? But I just challenge anybody to go to your newspaper, go online, find an article about the For the People Act or the John Lewis Act, and see if you can get any details as to what it actually does. And, um, you know, the, the, the idea of creating one of the things it does, I mentioned that it partisanized the, the, it would partisanize the FEC, which is already partisan. It's an equal number of Republicans and Democrats, so they can't gut each other, which frankly, you know, I'm not that fond of either one, but, uh, you know, people gutting each other through government agencies that are designed to police speech is really not what the Constitution's all about. It's not good for freedom. And, uh, and what this would do is to make it to where Biden would get to pick one more, a Democrat, which would then give the Democrats going into this election a majority on the FEC, meaning that they could police in all kinds of partisan ways during this election. And of course, a year or so later, maybe the court would say, oh, no, no, they should have actually been able to speak, but it'd be too late. In the same way that now everybody admits that Hunter Biden's laptop that was would have been big news if it hadn't been Russian disinformation. I mean, that's what we were told. But of course, turns out it wasn't Russian disinformation. We were just lied to by the people who this time, at least they lied. Tim, they lied to us privately. They didn't, they didn't use government offices because, of course, this was Clapper and Brennan. These were former national security advisors and NSA and CIA leaders and so on. Um, anyway, the January 6th, what that has to do with making elections. I mean, we, we do want to make elections secure and fair 
and we do want it to be easy to vote. We don't, you know, we don't want moats around, you know, <laughs> the ballot box. You shouldn't have to do a, you know, a stress test or any sort of written examination. You know, we used to have uh, uh, poll tests and things like that, and they, they were draconian and and I think wrong. Um, obviously, uh, you know, we've always had rules against you know, people who are incarcerated. We've had rules against people who are mentally ruled un, you know, unfit. I don't know if unfit's the word, whatever word I'm searching for. Um, but just, you know, there are all kinds of rules, but we want to make it easy. But this whole debate, and we've talked about it countless times on this podcast and through, you know, the commentaries at thisiscommonsense.org, this debate is being held by people who have a vested interest in turning the table their way. And so at the state level, I think some of the stuff that the Republican legislatures have done is good. Some of it's not so good. All of it is likely to benefit to, to accrue to their advantage or they wouldn't have done. It. And in Democratic states, they're doing the same thing. And in Congress that's now in Democratic hands, they're doing exactly the same thing. Some of what they're doing might be, I might agree with. And some of it I might not. In fact, some of it I can darn well tell you I don't. But all of it serves their interests. And it's important that people be involved in this process. And it's also important for us to realize we don't have any, we don't have any watchdogs. The media is not the watchdog. This is just a classic example where they're just spewing the same talking points that the Democrats are and that they're not serious about this. I, I constantly run into people who say, we well, yeah, have all the things that, you know, this is just a response to what the, uh, what the Republicans have been doing in the states, except that almost every line in this legislation was there two years ago when they pushed the same basic thing. So it's not at all a response. You know, you don't respond to something several years before it ever happens. That's not called a response. Even radar on, on mass wasn't quite that far ahead of, uh, ahead of things. Anyway, this is, uh, and, and, and it, here's what's I think most wrong about it. And maybe not just most, one aspect of it that, that troubles me a lot. It is important for us to send the message that smashing out windows at the Capitol ain't okay. It's not okay. And if you have, if, if, you, if you're starting a revolution because you've got the, then please send a manifesto a few weeks ahead of time that we might be able to read it and figure out what you want before you smash things. And, and you know, this was not, this was not an insurrection in any way that wouldn't be embarrassing to other insurrectionists. And so in a sense, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a terrible thing, but it's so sophomoric that it's almost silly to, to raise it to some new level. Now, there is concern about, look, if, if they can show Trump is, you know, hey, here's how we take over the government and, and do a coup, well, then bring it. In the same way that I think, and we've discussed this many times, Tim, there, there are all kinds of irregularities that happened um, in the election. 
where states did things that I don't think they're constitutionally able to do, and that where government uh, election officials, you know, allowed ballots to be opened and processed that didn't follow the regular rules of how you do that to verify that they're they're solid and so on. I don't say that that the election was stolen because I don't know that it was stolen. And I don't believe the evidence has been presented that it has been stolen. And the same is true with Mr. Trump. And we've discussed, I think last week we discussed some how uh, uh, I, I did not like Mr. Trump's uh, post-election behavior at all. And I think it is a stain, what Laura Ingram said. I was actually very uh, proud of the Fox. They, they released the, the uh, text messages that several Fox uh, hosts had sent to Mark Meadows in the White House. And uh, one, uh, Laura Ingram said, you know, he's destroying his legacy. And, um, and of course, I also learned that he said, you know, be peaceful and don't, don't be uh, violent much earlier than I had thought that he had in the afternoon. But all of that is, if you got the goods, then bring them. And, and this is America. Let's hear it. And let's, let's move on, do whatever we need to do once we've heard the, the facts. I think there's all kinds of irregularities that took place in 2020. And frankly, there's always irregularities because things aren't, don't always happen perfectly. And elections, you know, it seems simple enough. Trust me, anything people are involved in is not that simple. And, and so the right thing to do, it seems to me, is to fix the problems. The problem with that is who's fixing? And so I, I think we're better off with, with things that voters, uh, you know, get to have say on. Um, and, and I think so much of the election process needs to be constitutionalized so that it's not open to legislatures to do as they will. You wrote two pieces this week on January 6th event, kind of. They were covering every element of it. Both were written before the many speeches, right? Uh, yes. Both went press before Biden made his speech. Before, Tim, I ever knew that this was worse than Pearl Harbor and worse than, you know, 9-11. And, uh, and then I think somebody compared it to the Holocaust. And, uh, and let me tell you that the, the, you know, the, the difference between this and those other, the Holocaust and 9-11 and Pearl Harbor is that this happened to the Capitol. And in essence, to these people, that's how they view it, and understandably, I don't, I don't, you know, I, I understand if the, if, if the, you know, the mugging happened to you, well, then you do feel it a little bit uh, more personally, and, and nobody can blame you for that, but that is the reason why this is so, this, this is, in their eyes, terrorism and, and horribly frightening, when I think to a lot of Americans, this doesn't seem that way. And in some ways, that's unfair of us. We're not sympathizing with the trauma that they faced. 
But I suspect part of the reason we're not sympathizing is because they are the least sympathetic people in the whole world. And their job is to sympathize with us, is to represent our sympathies in Washington, and they just never do it. We could actually talk about the two pieces that you wrote, which were a sometimes thing from January 6th, and then the secret of the second impeachment. The sometimes thing was a question asked in a poll, a Washington Post, uh, University of Maryland poll. And uh, so I read it in my morning Washington Post. And it was, it was basically, they made the point that one out of three Americans, quote, uh, uh, says violence against government <clears throat> can be justified. And, and here's the precise, which we put into the commentary here. We're, we're very forthcoming, provide information. Here's the precise question they ask people. Do you think it is ever justified for citizens to take violent action against the government or is it never justified? So the choice isn't, is it usually justified? Blah, blah, blah. It's, can it ever possibly be justified is kind of the way I would look at it, or never can it be justified. And this, of course, this poll, as you know, everybody knows, is done leading up to January 6th. And the 34% of people who said it can sometimes be justified um, was made out to be, well, it was an increase years ago. There was, uh, I think it was 2015, there was 23% of people who said it can be sometimes justified. I think it was 16 or something percent uh, years before that. And I'm sure that the, you know, the, the echo chamber out there has some impact on it. But the reality is so much different than what the Washington Post is trying to spin. The reality is this is 34% of people saying, yes, there is some instance out there. You know, if tomorrow you heard everybody needs to, you know, line up by, by religion and, uh, you know, present themselves to the nearest football stadium, um, you know, I, I think there's some of us who would have a real problem with that. And apparently there's some people who would be right there in line, you know, first. Uh, but but and so and I point out in this commentary that, you know, I'm I'm really much more worried about the 62 percent who said never, never could you take any violent action against government. Now, so many of the words violence and, you know, we, we had the thing this week where where I think uh, Senator Cruz said that, you know, these were uh, domestic terrorists at, at, on January 6th. And, and was kind of attacked for saying that. And I tend to think that terrorism entails your action being done to inflict terror on others. The fear that, that if you're part of this group, whether it's an American, a white person, a black person, uh, a Jewish person, a Christian person, a Muslim person, it, it's an attempt to terrorize a whole group by doing something violent and terrible to a part of that group. 
and uh, and uh, you know we can quibble back and forth. My my uh, my doctorate degree isn't in uh, terrorist definitions. Well, we did uh, have a discussion on Facebook today or yesterday about this very thing. Yes, yes, I did, and and it just seems to me that if you call everything terrorism, then it loses all meaning. And, and terrorism to me is fairly specific. If you went in and robbed a bank and <clears throat> shot a bunch of people, that wouldn't be terrorism. If you attacked the seat of government and tried to take it over, that's insurrection, that's not terrorism. If you were to hold people hostage and then kill them violently to send a message to every other politician, that would be terrorism. See, because you're inflicting the terror on others. Anyway, um, and, you know, I, I thought there were a couple, you know, in, in uh, my discussions with folks, I thought there were a couple intelligent comebacks on that. Um, because there is some element of terror being, you know, being foisted on others, I guess. But I think largely it's spin. And it's, and it's trying to hype things. And this is something that I don't think, I don't think there's any support for the January 6th Capitol riot. That's what I would call it. And I think there is almost zero support among the public for it. And, you know, I think there is some support among the public for, you know, being, being a little bit more rough and tumble with the, with the government in terms of, you know, you've seen recent things out West, the, uh, I want to say Bundy. Is it, is it Bundy? Is that the name of the? Yeah, Clive and Bundy. Yes, yes. I think there is some support for that. And I think that it is born of government overreach and obnoxiousness for the most part. So uh, not that I, you know, the, the fact that somebody overreaches that doesn't give somebody else the right to overreach. It's, it's what the whole eye for an eye really is all about is that, you know, if someone takes your eye, you don't have a right to take their eye and their nose and their cheek and their, you know, left leg. Um, and, and so it doesn't necessarily justify what folks have done. I hadn't looked into that a whole lot other than to see that it's happened again and again, and that there's really a lot of public support there, uh, a lot being more than zero. Because oftentimes, you know, when people are criminal, there's just almost zero support. Uh, like, like, you know, zero, zero, zero. So I, I think in, in the January 6th, you know, the, the reason to make it into this huge, you know, it was, it's the, the life of our democracy doesn't seem to be tied to preventing that. It seems to be tied to winning other political battles by using that as a bloody shirt. And I think you're going to get a lot of resistance. We're not stupid people. We're sophisticated. We know what you're doing. And I think it's why there's not more unanimity in terms of how we look at this date. Um, and, and so, you know, it, it's Biden says he wants to be a uniter. This is, was an opportunity to unite. And, um, and I don't think it, it's, not, it's not going to happen. I think that's pretty obvious. And you know, one thing happened early on, and maybe I can't remember before we had our glitch whether whether I had mentioned this, but early on in this, there was the talk about the deaths. And of course, there was the death of Ashley Babbitt, 
who was killed crawling, attempting to crawl through a window that had been smashed out inside the Capitol to go from one area to another area and was shot by a, a Capitol policeman. And that is a death from the riot. And I think that's the only death that can be really attributed to the riot or insurrection. And we discussed earlier how you can call it an insurrection. I think you can kind of justify that terminology. It's just, it's just that all the other insurrectionists throughout history are kind of going, come on, we got to sit with these people. <laughs> anyway, uh, you know, somewhere in hell. So uh, there might have been somebody there who thought of themselves as an insurrectionist, but most of them did not. Even the ones walking through the Capitol building did not behave as if they were mounting an insurrection. And to pretend that is the case is silly. It is silly because a lot of us who were around the TV as it was happening saw for uh, quite some time, 20, 30, 40 minutes, we're seeing the, the footage of people walking through the Capitol after it had been breached, walking through the Capitol, walking through the rope, the rope lines, through the, the halls, you know, and, and very, you know, nonchalantly, politely walking. Now, again, that, that's not me saying everyone was so polite. What are you talking about? Obviously, some people were not at all polite and, and you know, need to be gone after and prosecuted, and they are being. Um, but, of course, all the same, you know, freedoms and rights and rules apply. The deaths, though, troubled me early on because they kept... They, they mentioned two other people. I think then it turned out there were three people who died that day, two by heart attack. These are people who attended the rally. And of course, you know, the thing that needs to always be said, very few people, very tiny percentage of people who attended the rally decided to wander into the Capitol, uh, especially by force. And, and in the same way, that someone who says, well, all people who went to Black Lives Matters protests, you know, are violent thugs, because, of course, most of the people who went to Black Lives Matter protests, uh, one, may not, may not have considered it a Black Lives Matter protest. A lot of times there's a protest, people show up. It's not like it's owned by somebody. So anyway, with, with all of that, the deaths always bothered me because when there's something like this, it's pretty serious. You don't, you don't have to add on a bunch of stuff to make it serious that a bunch of people smashed through windows and broke through police lines and went into the Capitol, you know, acting like they were going to go hang Mike Pence or something. This is, this is pretty serious stuff. So you have Ashley Babbitt. Of course, that's somebody who was shot by police trying to enter illegally um, now, whether whether that was the right response is, is a whole other question, but we know at least what happened. There then are three people who attended the rally who were Trump supporters who died, two of heart attacks. The other, I think, is listed as an amphetamine overdose, may have also been a heart attack, but but that was the cause. And And as I understand it, all three of them died outside the Capitol. They never went in the Capitol. They weren't part of some riot or insurrection or terrorism or anything else. They died outside the Capitol. You know, if someone got hit by a truck two blocks away, that, that isn't a death uh, associated with it. 
And then you had the policemen who I think almost everybody felt like originally that they were going to come back and say, well, he died because of injuries sustained there. Well, that's not what the medical examiner said. The medical examiner said, no, he died because from stroke, he had suffered other strokes. There's, There's no evidence that that caused it to happen. And, and of course, now, if you might report it, if you're a legitimate news source, you might report it as one death and other deaths associated. And I would take the Trump people who attended a rally and then died somewhere outside the Capitol and never entered it. Stop talking about that. It's, you know, it's, it's a terribly sad thing, but it just doesn't have anything to do with it. I didn't realize there was any people like that. Is that part of the whole? Yes. When they say five, that's they're talking about Trump people who came to the rally. There's at least two. I believe it's three who came to the rally and died that day outside the Capitol. Of course, probably couldn't get emergency services to get where they needed to go because all hell was breaking loose. Um, and so, I mean, they could argue, well, they died because of that, but that no, no medical person has said that. And, and so th- that's just silliness. And then the policeman, the way you might report it is to say the policeman who the coroner ruled uh, his death was not attributed necessarily to the injuries he had received, but whose family still believes that that may have caused, and any reasonable person is going to go, look, it probably didn't help him that he was involved in a huge riot. That, you know, that no doctor goes, well, what you need to do to make sure you don't have another stroke is get involved in some riots. That'll help. And maybe maybe you should be go to rodeos and be, uh, you know, uh, anyway. Uh, But the fact that the media wants to use some big number and and not report those sorts of facts is problematic. And it's problematic because where you can tie people together and say, look, here, we, we can all agree on this. That's how you start to work with each other and to, and to maybe get some of the bitterness of politics aside. And I'm not someone who's constantly, oh, you know, I don't cry every night because people disagree about politics. That's the way the, the cookie crumbles in some respects. But we're at, at a sort of unhealthy point that I think almost everybody can realize we're really on the edge on some of these things where th- this is not good. Things can happen and you need there to be some cohesion, just a tiny smidgen of cohesion somewhere in the world, like here. And, and so it doesn't help to use things like this to drive further wedges. And that, I think, is what the media generally does. And we should talk about, uh, and, and, and here with this particular commentary, part of what I brought out was the Declaration of Independence and the fact that the whole idea behind this country is that, yes, in, in fact, in the Declaration of Independence, it says not only that it's our right, but it's our duty to throw off government that is, that is oppressive. Now, I don't, I'm not calling on people to hit the barricades or to let's go take the Capitol because we have all the first amendment powers we need to get together and unify and kick a little butt when it comes to our elected officials and our government and to restore 
uh, I say restore. I'm not sure. That, I'm not sure you can say restore because I'm not sure we ever had much control. But to find much more control than we have today over our own government, and and so this isn't about oh we need to be ready to you know grab the gun at every opportunity. I think there's sometimes a lot of people who shoot off their mouth about the Second Amendment, which is a poor substitute for the First Amendment. Now, once you've lost the First Amendment, the Second Amendment is the most wonderful substitute in the whole wide world. But when you have the First Amendment, it's just in reserve, and it works its magic just in reserve. And so uh, people who, who talk about, you know, we need to get up guns, they're silly. They're silly. They're talking about things that you know, we're, we're not going to somehow change America because a bunch of us, you know, grab shotguns and run down to the Capitol. That's not very smart. And, uh, and, and it's not very effective. I'm not worried about insurrection. And, you know, these things are, are very hard to pull off if you have the cause. And, and I can make the case for why we are getting to a more and more precarious point. But that's not the same case as, oh, we need to use force and violence against the government. That's not at all the same case. And um, because one is strategic and the other is, is I think, a matter of, of principle. But anyway, to, to ask the question in the United States of America whether violence is ever justified against the government and to have 62% of the people say never just strikes me as maybe history. Did we forget to have history class? <laughs> I, think I think it's something different, different because, because I think, think that, that most of those people actually don't believe that at all. They, they believe, believe that, that yes, it, I mean, it's kind of an obvious answer. It's like, yes, sometimes you have to. And I think they believe it too, because the, let's say the Democrats, uh, they supported riots for six or seven months in the previous year, which included attacks upon government buildings, police stations, and all sorts of things. And they didn't, they didn't raise a squawk. I mean, they were justifying it with mostly peaceful protests and so forth. I think it's a lot like what happened when I was 13 years old. The teacher asked us to write down the first five things that popped in our heads when he gave us uh, you know, words. And so one of the words he gave us was girl. And so all the boys wrote down what the first five things that came in their heads. Every one of us censored what first came into our head. <laughs> we didn't put down because we didn't want to hear have him reading what first came into our heads. It wasn't, I mean, it's just, let's just put it, that's all you need to say. And I think that's exactly what happened with this poll. <laughs> you didn't want that call home to your mother. <laughs> yeah. Well, the same thing is here is that they realize, oh, I'm a Democrat. I can't say when you know my people are in office that it's okay to attack the government but they believe it how many people did you see interviewed explaining why burning something down or spray painting or smashing windows was not violence and you know it's it's it, especially when you get the smashing of windows and it's almost like any any property destruction doesn't count as violence but of course then that means that, that what did Ashley Babbitt do then? We just see it again and again that there's no, there's no sense of, 
of, gee, this ought to be a rule across the board. There are certain rules for the other side and there are no rules for your side so often. And I see that in initiative and referendum stuff. Um, I, I've been very proud of Republican. In fact, it's, it's almost the only thing I can think of to praise Republican legislatures uh, for is the fact that they held the line on expanding Medicaid in ways that I think is unsustainable <coughs> and, and long-term. And, and so I think that's really good. Well, they then in almost all those states uh, that are initiative states, the left got together and they, the left, the Democrats, whoever they, you know, but some folks got together and they put it on the ballot and the voters said, oh, geez, uh, we could get their Medicaid business oh, to help the poor. And they voted for it. And you could see it coming. You could see the polling. You could see that there's enough Republicans who will vote to help the poor on that matter that it's going to happen and that their legislators were, were being led by the more, the stronger you know, small, smaller government people. And, and so that's, you know, is that a failing of the initiative process? Well, I guess it is in my, in my opinion there. So what's the reaction? Well, <clears throat> the reaction I would have is, well, we, we're going to have to educate people better about, you know, you know, uh, about this issue and about how this isn't sustainable. And maybe we need to fight that even if we don't think we can win because we see the polls, maybe we need to spend a little time arguing the point. But that's not the way legislators in those states see it. Legislators in those states see, I wanted this. My people want this. And even when I'm part of their people, I just don't see going here. My people want this. The initiative process took it away. We control the legislature. All decisions should be made in the legislature. And we should kill the initiative process because the left might use it. In the same way that 10, 15 years ago, Democratic legislatures were doing it all over the place because otherwise the right's gonna use it to cut taxes. And that is really frightening when people have no real sense of, I believe in basic democracy, basic majority rule, basic rules and regs to where it's, it's like with the filibuster. As someone, someone who says, I don't like the filibuster. Okay, I can understand that. I think I do like it. Uh, you know, they're, they're, I can see arguments on both sides, but I think I prefer to have it. But as we've talked about several times, I don't want it if it's something that the politicians get to, get to yank this way and that way. If it's a rule to limit majoritarianism, then I don't want the majority in the in the Senate to be able to, to rip it up whenever they feel like it. I want it in the Constitution. I want it to where we, the people, have to be consulted before it can be changed. And that way, it's not, it, we're kind of living in a world where whoever first decides to kind of rip up the rules the way they are gets an advantage. Well, that's, you know, that doesn't seem to be the way to, to run things. And we, we had the same discussion about the Supreme Court, where they want to court pack and do different things. And no one seems to be talking about the underlying problem, which is, why have we given Congress this kind of power that they could even do it? Because I think there'd be enough pushback that they're scared to do it. But I fear the day when they don't fear the pushback 
maybe when they've controlled, they've better passed legislation to control what we can say on Facebook or Twitter or Parler or, you know, Rumble or YouTube or wherever. And, and, uh, and then all of a sudden, maybe they think, well, maybe we can get away with it. We have to, we have to politically protect what's ours. And that means put it in the constitution. Well, that's a great place to end the podcast, but we haven't gone through four of the pieces that you wrote. So uh, maybe, well, let, maybe we should just uh, briefly mention. Let's do it. On Monday, we had Sitting on the Volcano, which was about debt, and was also about the fact that we have no mechanism to stop the politicians from just going further and further and further into debt. When they're Republicans in, they go into debt. When it's Democrats in, they go into debt. When it's mixed, they go into debt, although a little bit less. Um, it's a mess. And, and again, at the basis of it is we don't control our own government, and we got to get control. And, and this piece was about the problem of uh, having a large debt and then having interest rates go up, and then all of a sudden debt service goes way up, and it just becomes a, a, a huge crisis for the, for the country. And for a long time, the United States government and the Federal Reserve have been working mightily to make sure that the interest rates were very low, unnaturally low, and therefore they could go into debt further. In fact, that's kind of why the Federal Reserve seems to exist now, is to allow the, the Congress and the president always to go further into debt. Well, the, the, uh, the, the interest rates have been near zero for 13 years since, since Obama came in. All through Obama, all through Trump, and now into into Biden. Uh, so, the the second piece we did was major media's major corruption, and I encourage you to go read that as well. It's uh, we we really do a takeoff on on uh, what Glenn Greenwald has been <clears throat> talking about, and it's something that Tim and I have been talking about for years. Uh, because we would start to notice, oh, this guy's background is he was with the CIA or this guy. And, and one of the points that Glenn Greenwald makes is it used to be that there were all kinds of programs, uh, Operation Mockingbird, uh, where the CIA was trying to influence media. And it seems like in the decades after that, that the CIA is the media, that there's, and Greenwald points out that, you know, here's NBC, a case where NBC has a former FBI uh, guy who's an analyst with them writing about Julian Assange, and without any mention that this guy at the FBI was all involved in that case. He's not coming at it from some objective viewpoint. And of course, it's opinion, so he can say what he wants. But to not put that context in, well, it's, it's what our media is all about. To tell us what they want us to know, but not what we want to know. And because we want to know it all, and they want to tell us what they think will make us vote the way they want us to vote. Pretty sad. Uh, then Wednesdays, I thought was, uh, what, what a fun, fun piece. Antifa goons give up. This is a case where two Antifa goons go after uh, uh, Andy. Is it Andy? It's Andy No, isn't it? Yeah, Andy No. That's how we uh, I, I, I couldn't 
but somehow I think it was Andrew, but it's, uh, he goes by Andy. Anyway, I guess that's the same name, but, uh, but uh, they went after him for copyright infringement because he took a tweet they made and retweeted it. And their tweet was showing this violence that they were applauding. And they finally dropped their case for copyright infringement against him after, uh, you know, some some good lawyer. Uh, what is it? The Center for Liberty? Yeah. Anyway, they uh, they took the case and and uh, and it was it was dropped after I think somebody realized that uh, this doesn't put you in a very good light. Center, Center for, for American, American Liberty. American Liberty. That's, That's how we learned the story, if I remember right. And uh, the, the last one we did on Friday is the secret of the second impeachment. And this is also a, 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 it includes Glenn Greenwald pointing out because he had been very involved in Snowden's case, Edward Snowden's case, uh, as well as Julian Assange, and had been lobbying behind the scenes to push people in the uh, Trump administration to convince Trump to give a pardon to both of those people. I have said for the last several elections that I would vote for anyone who said they would pardon, you know, promise to pardon uh, Snowden. And, um, and I, I, I just think both of those men have done things to help the whole world fight off totalitarian wannabes and, um, and God bless them. And, and so they ought to be able to be free and neither one of them are free while people who lied to us like Clapper are not only free, but welcome constantly to go back on TV to lie some more. Um, anyway, go there and read the secret of the second impeachment. Uh, Glenn Greenwald believes that had Trump not been impeached and not had to in effect lobby Republican senators to stay with him, that he would have pardoned Snowden and maybe Assange as well, but that folks like Lindsey Graham and others pressured him that if you want us to hold the line and not vote for uh, in, you know, impeachment or removal, which is what the Senate does, then you better not uh, uh, pardon those two gentlemen. So uh, it's, you know, obviously we can't know, but Greenwald, and, and we linked to his probably 25 minute long uh, rumble piece on it, uh, video. Uh, and, and in listening to that, you know, he, he's very honest that he, he can't know for certain what Trump was gonna do, of course, but it's clear that he was talking to people who were close to that situation. And Trump himself, uh, though, you know, playing his, the cards fairly close to the chest, did mention that he favored one of the candidates more than the other, and that was obviously Snowden uh, when he talked to uh, Candace Owens fairly recently. Yes, and I, I, that, that interchange, you know, it wasn't exactly what he said, but the whole kind of body language and stuff, it was clear that he kind of felt, it, 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 and, and you don't see Trump feeling bad about, you know, he never, oh, I feel really bad about what I did. It's always, you know, what I did was wonderful. Uh, but it was almost like he did. And I don't know if that was, you know, uh, Candace Owens, you know, pushing him on it a little bit, but whatever it was, he, it, it did appear that, that he regretted that a little bit. So those are the big stories. First week of 2022. This is going to be a busy, exciting year. Let's hope it's a good year. Mm -hmm. 
thank you for joining Paul Jacob and me for This Week in Common Sense for the first week of 2022. Join us on Rumble, join us on SoundCloud, always visit us at thisiscommonsense.org.